Hello everyone, my name is Jill Cower. I'm a clinical pharmacy specialist in psychiatry at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, where my practice is primarily in the combined internal medicine um, psychiatric unit there. Today I'm going to be talking to you about medication management of Lewy body and Parkinson's dementias. I do not have any financial relationships to disclose, nor will I be talking about any investigational products during this presentation. So Dr. Susan Schultz gave an excellent review of dementia with Lewy bodies earlier in this series, but I did want to take just a few minutes to talk about the key aspects of dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementias, just so that we'll have those things in mind as we move forward to talk about treatment. First, looking at uh, epidemiology of these disorders, for dementia with Lewy bodies, the prevalence estimates vary, but it is relatively common, accounting for about 15 to 30 percent of all dementia cases. Looking at Parkinson's disease with dementia, it is fairly common, uh, affecting about a quarter of all patients with Parkinson's disease. And it's interesting to note that the prevalence increases with the duration of Parkinson's disease. In fact, in one prospective cohort study where they started with patients who had an average um, disease duration of about nine years, only 26% of patients had dementia at the beginning of the study. When they followed those patients for eight years, so for a total of about 17 years of Parkinson's disease, 78% of those patients had dementia by the end of the study. So the approximate incidence of developing dementia is about 10% per year for patients with Parkinson's disease. So dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia are much more similar than they are different. They have a common pathophysiology. So they are both have disorders of alpha-synuclein metabolism and could be considered synucleinopathies and they can be grouped together under the general heading of Lewy body disease along with um, Parkinson's disease. So both of these dementias have Parkinsonian motor symptoms, so things like cogwheel rigidity, um, tremor, difficulties with bradykinesia, as well as gait disturbance and postural instability. Interestingly, compared to Alzheimer's disease, patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia actually have more preserved memory. But compared with Alzheimer's patients, they do have greater disturbances in attention, alertness specifically, and then also um, some maybe worse off in terms of executive functioning and visual perceptual function. And it's those visual perceptual disturbances that are actually hypothesized to increase the risk of having visual hallucinations in these patients and indeed complex well-formed visual hallucinations are sort of a core feature in dementia with Lewy bodies as well as um, Parkinson's disease dementia. Another thing that's very important to note for medication management in these patients is that they are quite sensitive to the extrapyramidal side effects of antipsychotic medications. The sensitivity is not just an increase in uh, extrapyramidal or pseudoparkinson's like symptoms, 
but actually also um, even more severe sensitivity um, with symptoms similar to the neuroleptic malignant syndrome that's actually associated with mortality. So that definitely has to be taken into account when thinking about treating uh, these patients with antipsychotic medications. And then some of the literature would suggest that this effect is less pronounced in patients with Parkinson's disease with dementia compared to dementia with Lewy bodies. In both of these disease states, you can see uh, REM sleep behavior disorder. So normally when we are dreaming, we uh, have muscle paralysis, but these patients will have visual dreams that are also associated with uh, motor behavior during sleep. And sometimes this manifests even before other symptoms and can be a sign um, that one of these um, diseases is developing. And lastly, um, both dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, you do have to worry about autonomic abnormalities, so things like orthostatic hypotension, um, dizziness, falls, syncope, so that can put patients at risk for side effects from medications, as well as urinary retention um, for these patients. So like I said, dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia are much more similar than they are different and can kind of be thought about as being on the same um, spectrum of disease. However, there are a couple of things um, that have been suggested to distinguish these disease states from each other. And the most important distinguisher is the temporal relationship between the development of cognitive impairments compared to uh, motor symptoms. So in dementia with Lewy bodies, the cognitive impairment starts either before or really at the same time as motor symptom manifestations. Whereas in Parkinson's disease with dementia, patients generally have Parkinson's disease for quite a while before they start to develop um, cognitive impairment. And in expert consensus, they say that you have to have at least a year of motor symptoms without dementia for it to be considered Parkinson's disease with dementia. So it's really sort of an arbitrary cutoff at one year, but that is certainly the definition that you will see in research studies to distinguish between dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. Other suggested differences that in dementia with Lewy bodies, you may possibly have more disturbances in attention and reportedly less tremor. And in these patients, they are likely to be less responsive to levodopa for motor symptom treatment. However, both patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia have a lower response to levodopa compared to patients with Parkinson's disease who don't have um, dementing illness. Another suggested difference is that in Parkinson's disease with dementia, there tends to be a greater asymmetry of Parkinsonian symptoms where you might see more symmetrical development of motor symptoms in patients with um, dementia with Lewy bodies. Psychotic symptoms are probably some of the most bothersome and most targeted adverse effects that need treatment in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. I mentioned that these patients tend to have very complex, well-formed hallucinations. And in general, these are visual hallucinations. And a lot of times it's seeing animal or human figures in the room. Although you, these patients can also um, report auditory um, hallucinations as well. 
In addition to the hallucinations, patients may also have um, delusions, with paranoid-type delusions being the most common theme um, in these patients. So things like persecution and theft would be common themes for their delusions. Other delusional themes that have been reported in the literature, so phantom border syndrome, where patient believes that there is an uninvited guest living in their house, or they might believe that there are television characters that there are in the room there with them. And then also unfaithfulness of the significant other is a common delusional theme. Specifically in dementia with Lewy bodies, uh, it's been reported that they may also experience Capgras syndrome, and that's where they believe that a loved one has been replaced with an identical-looking imposter, and that doesn't tend to be seen in um, Parkinson's disease with dementia, and that's also called delusional misidentification syndrome, so an interesting potential clinical uh, thing that you might see in, in Lewy body dementia. So I've always personally found that I remember information better if I can relate it back to patient care. So with that in mind, I'd like to share with you the case of a patient with dementia with Lewy bodies that we recently saw on the internal medicine psychiatry unit at UIHC. So this patient was a 68-year-old man, and he was admitted with the chief complaint of hallucinations and confusion. His hallucinations were primarily people um, in the room in his house that weren't supposed to be there, and they had some interesting details in terms of you know, the type of people that he would see. Um, some of them tend to like morph in with the furniture, so he would look at the couch and see a gentleman sitting there on the couch sort of wrapped in a shroud that looked like it was made of the same material um, with the couch. So very, again, complex and well-detailed uh, hallucinations. In terms of his past medical history, this patient had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease three years ago by a primary care provider. Medical illnesses, he also had hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and coronary artery disease. But notably, he did not have cerebrovascular disease, so we wouldn't think of him as having uh, vascular-type dementia. So looking at um, the Parkinson's disease treatment history that we received on admission for this gentleman, he had only been treated by his primary care provider. He lived in a rural area of Iowa and refused to travel to see a neurologist because they were quite far away. So he had never actually seen a neurologist for this condition. For the first year that he was diagnosed, he did not receive any medication treatment. But after about a year, he was started on carbidopa levodopa for motor symptoms. And he was on that treatment for about a year before um, significant visual hallucinations began. When he started having hallucinations, that prompted the primary care provider to change his treatment to ropinerol, which is a dopamine agonist, and that was titrated up to um, 0.75 milligrams three times a day, which is relatively low dose. But the hallucinations continued to get worse after that intervention was made, and then a few days prior to his admission to our hospital, um, Ropenerol had been actually discontinued when he was admitted to an outside hospital because they felt it might be contributing to his worsening hallucinations. 
So when we interviewed the patient and his wife, we got some additional information that maybe sort of changed our view of the patient because one important clinical pearl that we got from the wife was that this patient had had progressive confusion ever since his Parkinson's disease diagnosis. So even before he was treated with uh, dopaminergic medications and definitely, you know, seeming to coincide quite nicely with the onset of motor symptoms. And then another thing I just bring up to kind of separate this from an Alzheimer's disease picture is that this patient was able to remember all of the multiple jobs he had had about during his life and to tell us, you know, detailed descriptions of what he had done for each of these jobs. So just indicating that his memory was fairly well preserved, but he certainly had episodes of confusion that were bothersome to the wife where he wasn't able to interact well. So when we looked at physical findings for this patient, he certainly had um, Parkinsonian symptoms. So he had masked facies. He had a very mild tremor and mild cogwheel rigidity, particularly in the upper extremities that we could um, see easily. And then he had micrographia, um, mildly hypophonic speech. And importantly for functioning, he had unsteadiness when getting up from a chair to standing, and he did have to walk with a walker. So during this hospital course, since this gentleman had never seen a neurologist, we thought it would be a good idea to consult neurology. And they came up to see him. And when they saw him and got the history, they were concerned for possible dementia with Lewy bodies versus actual Parkinson's disease. However, because of his difficulties moving from sitting to standing and, and difficulties with walking, they did recommend starting a low dose of carbidopa levodopa, so a half tab of the 25 per 100 milligram tablets three times a day. They also recommended that we get neuropsychological testing for this patient to try to distinguish whether or not um, this might be dementia with Lewy bodies. So the testing was conducted and in their interview, they specifically looked at whether or not the patient had any evidence of REM behavior disorder, which he did not. However, the wife noted that there had been marked fluctuations in his level of alertness, and that was also seen um, during the interview. There was also a history of progressive visual hallucinations that was noted in the report. And the patient refused to complete all of the testing, but in the tests that he did complete, there were marked deficits in his executive functioning. And so the conclusion of the neuropsychological testing was that the findings appear to be broadly consistent with Lewy body dementia. So in that context of um, a diagnosis of dementia with Lewy bodies, neurology did recommend starting denepazil, and they also said that we could consider using a low-dose quetiapine if the hallucinations and agitation became a significant problem for this patient. So looking at the medication interventions that were made during the hospitalization for this patient, we did start carbidopa levodopa and ended up titrating up to one full tablet of 25 per 100 milligrams three times daily by the time of discharge to help with his motor symptoms. And we did start denepazil at five milligrams at night as recommended by neurology. However, we did not start cotiapine during this admission.
We also ended up starting this patient on sertraline up to 50 milligrams per day for management of significant anxiety symptoms. In the literature, suggested core treatment targets for dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia include Parkinsonian symptoms, so the motor symptoms, cognitive impairment, psychotic symptoms, so hallucinations and delusions, as well as depression. In the patient that I discussed with you, he didn't actually have depression, but he had significant anxiety that we treated with antidepressant agents. And given that anxiety is generally treated with antidepressants, a discussion of the evidence base for using antidepressants in this patient population could help inform treatment of anxiety in our patient. One of the clinical challenges uh, for treating any of these target symptoms in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia is that often the treatment of one symptom actually can exacerbate one of the other symptoms. And then there's also the issue that these patients have a fair amount of sensitivity to centrally active medications. So all of that we have to keep in mind as we talk about medication management for these different symptoms. So I'd like to start by talking about management of the Parkinsonian symptoms or the motor symptoms in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. So for patients with Parkinson's disease and dementia, in general, they're already treated for motor symptoms by the time that dementia manifests because they get motor symptoms and have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease for at least a year before cognitive impairment is noted. However, for dementia with Lewy bodies, you get cognitive impairment either before or at the same time as your uh, motor symptoms. And the recommendations here are to only treat motor symptoms if they interfere significantly with function because we recognize that the treatments for Parkinsonian symptoms can actually exacerbate uh, hallucinations and psychotic symptoms. So for our patient that I presented, um, he did have significant functional impairment in terms of difficulties with getting up out of a chair and having to walk with a walker. And so we felt that um, those functional symptoms um, made it appropriate to treat motor symptoms for our patient. Unfortunately, in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, their response to levodopa is impaired compared with patients who have Parkinson's disease without dementia. One of the reasons um, that's been suggested for this is that patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and um, Parkinson's disease with dementia tend to have more postural instability and gait disturbance as opposed to tremor um, prevalent symptoms, and that those particular symptoms may not respond as well um, to levodopa. However, despite the fact that these patients don't respond as well, it has been suggested in the literature that you might be able to reduce falls in these patients even if you don't get optimal response to motor symptoms. So that could be a consideration um, in the decision to initiate treatment or not. When we talk about treating motor symptoms, there are a number of different agents that could be used Certainly, the mainstay of treatment is the dopamine precursor levodopa, 
which is almost always given in combination with a decarboxylase inhibitor carbidopa because the decarboxylase inhibitor prevents peripheral conversion of levodopa to dopamine, thereby increasing the amount of levodopa that's available to get to the brain where we want it to work. And it also decreases the peripheral side effects of dopamine conversion like nausea and vomiting. So those two are generally given together, so carbidopa-levodopa combination. You can also add on other agents to help prolong the effects of levodopa. So catecholamine O-methyltransferase inhibitors, probably entacapone is the most commonly used in clinical practice. They can decrease the breakdown of levodopa and increase the amount that gets um, to the brain and prolong the effect of each carbidopa-levodopa dose. Another way that you can go about increasing dopamine in the central nervous system is by using direct dopamine agonists. And probably in clinical practice, um, ropenorol and pramipexol are the two agents that are used most uh, commonly. Those are both oral agents um, and safer than some of the older ergot derivatives um, that were dopamine agonists like bromocryptine. So these medications directly stimulate dopamine receptors and can help with motor symptoms. And one of the advantages of these agents compared to levodopa is that they're not associated with the off or the wearing off effect. And they also are not associated with the significant dyskinesias that you can often see with um, long-term levodopa treatment. Unfortunately, the dopamine agonists also don't seem to be quite as effective for treating Parkinsonian symptoms. So, Levodopa, despite its um, downfalls, is probably still the most effective agent. Other adjunctive agents that you might see are things like anticholinergic medications, so benztropine and trihexyphenidyl. They have a small effect on improving motor symptoms, and there is some conflicting evidence about whether or not these agents are particularly helpful for tremor in patients with um, Parkinson's disease. Amantadine is actually an antiviral agent that has um, some dopaminergic activity. It's not exactly clear the mechanism for this agent, but it has been thought to increase release of presynaptic dopamine and can be an effective adjunctive agent in Parkinson's disease for motor symptoms. And then lastly, monoamine oxidase B selective inhibitors, so selegiline and resagiline, those can decrease the breakdown of dopamine, increasing the amount of dopamine that's available. And those are often initiated early on in the disease course and are thought to be able to delay the um, time to need for initiation of dopaminergic agents like levodopa or dopamine agonists. So part of the problem with using these anti-Parkinsonian agents in the treatment of motor symptoms for patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia is that they can exacerbate psychotic symptoms. And randomized controlled trial data have shown that the psychotic symptoms are more common with dopamine agonists as compared to levodopa. Because of the propensity for dopamine agonists to exacerbate psychotic symptoms and the sensitivity of dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia patients for having psychotic symptoms, the dopamine agonists are not recommended as first line in these patients. Another thing to consider with anti-Parkinsonian agents is that they can exacerbate cognitive impairment. 
specifically anticholinergic uh, medications have been proposed to further impair attention in patients with dementia. And that's because basal forebrain um, cholinergic system dysfunction is thought to play a role in the executive function impairments that you often see in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. And so in general, you should avoid anticholinergic agents in patients with any type of dementia and specifically European guidelines for treatment of Parkinson's disease suggested that anticholinergic agents are actually contraindicated in patients with dementia due to their known um, propensity to impair um, mental symptoms. So because of the problems with other agents and because of the greater efficacy, carbidopa levodopa is the mainstay of treatment for motor symptoms in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with um, dementia. Just keep in mind that if you're going to initiate this treatment, that you want to start low and titrate slowly to minimize the likelihood of exacerbating psychotic symptoms for these patients. So that brings us to management of the cognitive impairment in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. So just kind of as an overall, there is evidence for cholinesterase inhibitors and memantine to potentially be helpful in these patients. But just keep in mind that the treatment effects on cognition are modest at best. And you really need to weigh the potential benefits of the cognitive enhancers against their adverse effects when making the decision to initiate treatment in um, this patient population. Looking first at the cholinesterase inhibitors, there are definitely um, greater cholinergic effects in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia than in patients with Alzheimer's disease, giving a good rationale for use of cholinesterase inhibitors in um, treatment of this type of dementia. And it has also been proposed that the cholinesterase inhibitors might have an added benefit of improving hallucinations in this patient population. However, the effects on uh, psychotic symptoms are inconsistent, and there wasn't a significant benefit in uh, hallucination shown in the two largest clinical trials done with cholinesterase inhibitors. However, it's possible and it might be a consideration um, that these might be helpful for hallucinations without having to initiate um, an antipsychotic medication that might have even more problems. We'll look first at the trials of rivastigmine in treatment of dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. So the first study I'll go over was by McKeith and colleagues in 2000, and they looked only at patients with dementia with Lewy bodies. They had 120 patients, and they randomized them to rivastigmine or placebo for 20 weeks. The main dose of rivastigmine in this trial was 9.4 milligrams per day. And they showed that at 20 weeks that there were significant improvements in the neuropsychiatric inventory subscale or the MPI-4, which specifically looks at delusions, hallucinations, apathy, and depression, but that the effect was only significant for the patients who were actually taking the rivastigmine, but not in the intent to treat population. So not for um, the primary outcome of intent to treat. They also looked at changes in many mental state examination scores or MMS e-scores 
and they were not statistically significant. Although for the people who actually stayed on rivastigmine throughout the trial, there was a 1.6 point improvement versus placebo, which would probably be uh, clinically significant for those patients who are actually able to tolerate and stay on the medication. Something else to think about is that when they look specifically at hallucinations, so about 70% of patients in this trial had hallucinations at baseline, and there were equal numbers of patients in the um, rivastigmine and placebo groups who were receiving dopaminergic medications. And then by the end of the trial, they did see significant improvements in psychosis um, at the 20-week endpoint, and when they actually followed the patients for three weeks after discontinuing the medication in the rivastigmine group, there was a significant reemergence of psychosis after that, indicating that rivastigmine might have been particularly helpful for hallucinations and delusions. So even though the primary endpoints weren't significant, there might have been some treatment effect hinted at in this trial. Unfortunately, there were more adverse effects with rivastigmine um, reported compared to placebo, although there were no differences noted in motor symptoms. The most commonly reported adverse effects for rivastigmine in the trial were nausea, vomiting, anorexia, um, and somnolence, and those were all greater than placebo. So maybe some benefit, but certainly greater side effects. Another trial looked at the use of rivastigmine in Parkinson's disease with dementia, and that was Emory and colleagues in 2004, one of the larger studies that's been done. So they had 541 patients, and they had a titratable dose of rivastigmine. In this case, the average dose was 8.6 milligrams per day. They compared that to placebo over 24-week treatment period. What they found at the end of this study was that in their primary endpoint, which was the Alzheimer's disease um, assessment scale, cognitive uh, subscales, the ADAS COG, that there was a significant mean improvement of 2.1 points in this scale compared to placebo. And when they looked at global functioning about whether or not this was a clinically meaningful improvement, so significantly more patients, so 19.8% in the rivastigmine group reported clinically meaningful improvement compared to only 4.5% in the placebo group. Just like in the study with dementia with Lewy bodies, there was a greater risk for adverse effects in the rivastigmine group compared to placebo in this trial. So 17% left the study due to adverse effects as compared to only 8% in placebo, with nausea and vomiting being the most common reason for study discontinuation. And they did not see a significant difference in the Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale for motor symptoms between rivastigmine and placebo. However, more patients in the rivastigmine group did report tremor compared to patients with placebo, so that there might have been a some, somewhat worsening of Parkinsonian symptoms that just wasn't picked up on rating scale scores. This study um, by Emory and colleagues just recently published in 2014, it's not a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial, but I think it's important because it actually looks at longer-term use of rivastigmine, um, and this was 
again, in patients with just Parkinson's disease with dementia. And it was an open label trial where patients could be on either rivastigmine capsules or the rivastigmine patch. And it was a fairly large study with very similar doses of rivastigmine um, in the two groups. And they looked at the treatment over 76 weeks, so about a year and a half, so a fairly long study. And safety was their primary outcome, because we want to know if patients can actually tolerate these medications over long periods of time, because in the real world, we're likely going to treat patients for longer than the six months, which was the average length um, of most trials. And so what they found was that the adverse effects were relatively similar between capsules and um, patch, but were significant. I mean, there were approximately 30% of um, patients reporting adverse effects in both groups. It did seem, though, that tremor was the most common side effect. So again, a, a signal that rivastigmine can exacerbate Parkinsonian symptoms, but that was less pronounced with the patch. Another important thing to note is that in both groups, there was 20% of patients that reported increased falls so it's a definite consideration for long-term treatment that as you potentially exacerbate these Parkinsonian symptoms with rivastigmine that you're increasing the risk that your patient might fall. So overall, in this long-term study, there were about a quarter of patients who withdrew due to adverse effects, um, mostly nausea, which was worse with the capsules compared to the patch. So that's definitely a consideration that this may not be extremely well tolerated long term. And when looking at secondary outcomes for efficacy, it was shown that the capsules worked a little bit better in terms of preventing declines in cognitive function and global functioning over time, but they also seem to be less well tolerated in this study. Moving on to another cholinesterase inhibitor, Dinepazil. The first study we'll look at was for Mori and colleagues. It was a Japanese study that looked only at patients with dementia with Lewy bodies. They had 140 patients and they used three doses of Dinepazil, 3, 5, and 10 milligrams compared to placebo, but it was only uh, 12 weeks of treatment. They did see in this study a greater improvement on uh, the MMSE in the higher dose groups, so the 5 and 10 milligram groups compared to placebo. And they also found positive findings on the MPI-4, so that subscale that looked at hallucinations, delusions, and depression and apathy, and that that was better with the 10 milligram group, but not the lower doses, the 3 and 5 milligrams. In this study, as you know, a little bit different from the rivastigmine study, there were no differences in withdrawals due to adverse effects, and there was no significant difference in reported nausea, vomiting, or Parkinsonian symptoms between uh, Dinepazil and placebo, which might be an indication that Dinepazil could be maybe better tolerated um, than rivastigmine in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies. In terms of looking at Dinepazil in patients with Parkinson's disease dementia, there were a couple of small placebo-controlled crossover trials that did show relatively um, large benefits in terms of um, an increased score of about two points on the MMSE. 
And that prompted investigators to do a larger randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial. So Dubois, it was reported in 2012. Again, another large study, 550 patients, they used 5 or 10 milligrams of denepazil compared to placebo over a 24-week treatment period. And they did find a difference in the ADAS-COG of 1.45 points, but this difference was not significant. But when they looked at MMSE, they did find a significant improvement um, of 1.5 points. So a little bit conflicting in terms of whether or not denepazil was particularly helpful um, for cognitive impairment. But when they looked at scores of global function, they did find a significant improvement in patients who were on the 10 milligram dose, but not the lower five milligram doses compared to placebo. In this trial, there were more dropouts due to adverse effects, primarily, again, nausea and vomiting, um, but there were no differences seen in motor symptom scores. But just like with the rivastigmine trial in patients with Parkinson's disease with dementia, there was more actual reports of tremor with denepazil as compared to placebo. So in the dementia with Lewy body studies, we didn't see a lot of change in tremor. However, in the trials done with cholinesterase inhibitors and Parkinson's disease with dementia, they seem to consistently show tremor being reported more commonly with these agents. So it's definitely something to think about um, in terms of potential adverse effects for that particular patient group. So the Cochrane reviews of all of the literature in, of cholinesterase inhibitors in Parkinson's disease, dementia, and Lewy body dementia can help kind of give us a global assessment of what's available out there. For Parkinson's disease, dementia, the Cochrane reviews felt that there was clearly a positive impact seen on global assessment cognitive function, and behavioral disturbance and activities of daily living in that patient population. However, the evidence for Lewy body dementia was much less clear. Um, they did, in the one review that looked specifically at um, dementia with Lewy bodies, there was weak evidence for benefit on neuropsychiatric symptoms and the authors did suggest that perhaps the cholinesterase inhibitors could be an alternative to antipsychotics for targeting um, psychiatric symptoms in patients with um, dementia with Lewy bodies. When looking overall at the tolerability of cholinesterase inhibitors in these patient populations, they did find that there were more dropouts and more adverse effects reported in patients with rivastigmine as compared to denepazil, which again might suggest that denepazil is potentially better tolerated um, in these patient populations. That brings us to studies of memantine in Parkinson's disease dementia and Lewy body dementia. So there have been changes in glutamate activity noted in both disease states and also memantine has been found to be helpful in Alzheimer's type dementia. And so for all those reasons, investigators thought it might be worth looking at the effects of memantine in um, Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's disease dementia. So this trial, for, published by Leroy and colleagues in 2009, 
It was an investigator-initiated pilot trial, so it's a small trial of only 25 patients. They used um, memantine 20 milligrams per day uh, compared to placebo for 16 weeks. And then they also did a six-week observed washout after the 16-week treatment period. Unfortunately, they didn't have very positive findings. There was no significant difference in cognitive impairment or MPI scores seen um, at the 16-week endpoint. However, when they looked at the drug withdrawal period, they did see more deterioration of function in the patients who had been receiving memantine as compared to placebo, which indicated that maybe there were some beneficial effects there that maybe they just weren't able to pick up in the study because of lack of power. Uh, I also want to mention that the minimal status exam scores were not better uh, than placebo at the end of treatment just because uh, the minimal state exam is a common clinical tool as well as outcome that we see in these clinical studies. So not very impressive, but again, this was a very small study. And one of the things that was good about memantine is that in terms of tolerability, it was very much similar to placebo. So the authors thought that it was worth further investigation um, with some signal that memantine might have been helpful. So that brings us to the larger uh, randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial by Arsland and colleagues uh, published in 2009. This time they included patients with both dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. So overall, 72 patients Again, it was memantine, 20 milligrams per day compared to placebo, but they did a longer treatment period of 24 weeks. I also wanted to note that in this study, they did allow patients to be on concomitant cholinesterase inhibitor therapy, and about 50% of the patients overall in the study were receiving cholinesterase inhibitors as well. So this study was uh, positive and found significant um, differences in global change at week 24, and they did a Cohen's D calculation and found to be 0.52, so that indicates a moderate treatment effect in uh, global functioning. And specifically, when they looked at patients who achieved at least uh, moderate or substantial improvement, that was seen in 27% of patients with um, memantine as compared to only 17% with placebo. So. Overall, it looked like global functioning improved in this study with memantine. And then they also found a difference in MMSE score of, of 1.9 points uh, with memantine versus placebo, although this effect was not significant. It was probably clinically relevant, but not uh, statistically significant. And they did not see any differences on uh, MPI scores or neuropsychiatric scores um, in this study. So like in the pilot study, it did seem that memantine was well tolerated. There were no differences between placebo and withdrawals from the study due to adverse effects, and there were no differences in motor symptom scores with memantine compared to placebo. There was also a separately published secondary analysis of this study that did show that memantine improved overall quality of life 
And in this secondary analysis, when they looked at caregiver ratings of overall um, life as a whole, they did find that 42% of caregivers rated this as improved in the mammanting group as, a pair, as compared to only 15% um, in the placebo group. So definitely some signals for positive effects in this particular study of mammanting. However, looking at a second study of mammantine, again in both patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, this was actually a drug company um, sponsored trial by Amory and colleagues. They had almost 200 patients and the mammantine dose was similar and the treatment duration was similar as in the previous trial. I do want to note that in these trials, they did not start with 20 milligrams of memantine. It was titrated up to 20 milligrams over four weeks, as would be recommended in the prescribing um, information. But when they got to their 24-week endpoint in this study, there were no significant differences in global change, and there were no differences in neuropsychiatric inventory scale scores at week 24 when they looked at their overall population. However, if they broke it up, between dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, the patients with dementia with Lewy bodies did have um, significant improvements in both global change and neuropsychiatric inventory scores. So that is interesting because actually in the previous study by Arsland, when they sort of did a sub-analysis, their treatment effects were driven by patients with Parkinson's disease with dementia. So a little bit of inconsistency in the clinical trials about which population actually benefits more um, from memantine treatment. But just like in the previous study, the adverse effects were similar to placebo. So at least as compared to studies for the cholinesterase inhibitors, memantine seems to be pretty well tolerated. So overall, for memantine, inconsistent data for benefits, you know, whether it improves global functioning or not, whether it um, improves cognitive functioning or not, um, but it does seem to be well tolerated. There was a recent meta-analysis of cognitive enhancers in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia that I think can be helpful in sort of looking at the overall evidence available in making treatment decisions. So um, this was Wang and colleagues in their first analysis I want to show you is of the clinical global impressions of change, uh, so the CGI scores. And you can see that for Dinepazil, both 5 and 10 milligrams, as well as rivastigmine up to 12 milligrams, and memantine, all showed significant benefits in terms of global functioning um, when you looked at the continuous data that was reported. Also, too, the authors of the analysis noted that Dinepazil actually did not look as good when they did a sub-analysis of studies where they removed all of the, the crossover trials. So maybe Dinepazil is not quite as good if you take out some of the weaker evidence, but overall it looks like cognitive enhancers and memantine can have some benefit on global functioning in clinical trials. 
Also want to look at the meta-analysis for the MMSE continuous data. So in this analysis, there was significant benefit for the cholinesterase inhibitors, but not for memantine. However, it was noted that in a sub-analysis where they took out estimated values for standard deviations, so basically they took out the Leroy study, which was a pilot study anyway and didn't have all the data reported, that when they looked at memantine in that analysis that it did have a significant um, effect on MMSE. So again, fairly good evidence for the cholinesterase inhibitors for improving cognition on MMSE, not quite as good uh, for memantine. And finally, I'd like to look at the neuropsychiatric inventory um, scale score meta-analysis. So for this one, there was significant benefit of the higher dose of denepazil, so denepazil 10 milligrams, as well as the rivastigmine 12 milligram group uh, for improvement in neuropsychiatric symptoms, um, but not for the other agents. So that gives us kind of a nice summary of the evidence that's available out there, demonstrating that there may be some benefits of cognitive enhancers. That benefits of cognitive enhancers seen in these clinical trials, however, does have to be weighed against the potential adverse effects. So with the cholinesterase inhibitors, what we saw being greater than placebo in clinical trials were side effects such as nausea and vomiting, anorexia, somnolence, and dizziness. And then specifically in the trials for patients with Parkinson's disease with dementia, there was an increased um, risk for tremor. Also, I think it's important to note that in the open-label long-term study that was done, there was uh, indication that there could be an increased risk of falls with long-term treatment, especially if these agents are exacerbating Parkinsonian-type symptoms. So something to keep in mind. Momantine, on the other hand, was a little bit better tolerated, and so there was no significant difference from placebo in the clinical trials in patients specifically with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. However, if you looked at what are the most commonly reported side effects in the prescribing information for memantine, that includes things like dizziness, confusion, headache, and constipation. So definitely you would want to monitor patients for those symptoms if you were going to initiate treatment. So overall, memantine seems to be better tolerated, um, but the evidence isn't quite as good. However, since there is some uh, indication of potential benefit from memantine, it certainly might be worth a try, especially if you have patients who can't tolerate um, cholinesterase inhibitors, but you would just monitor to see if there were any improvements and then discontinue the medication if no improvements were seen. One interesting thing to note is that there are a number of case reports that have shown increase in psychotic symptoms with memantine, although this definitely was not seen in the clinical trials for dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia. And then there are also other case reports that show that um, hallucinations get better with memantine or that if you stop memantine that hallucinations get worse. So it's a little bit unclear, but I would say in general um, the overall body of evidence doesn't 
indicate a adverse effect of momantine on uh, psychotic symptoms in this patient population. So now that we have discussed uh, treatment of the Parkinsonian symptoms and the cognitive impairment, time to move on to looking at treatment of psychosis in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. And as I mentioned earlier, I think the psychotic symptoms are often some of the most disturbing uh, symptoms to both patients and caregivers, um, and ones that certainly require a lot of thought in terms of treatment because the agents that are available to treat psychotic symptoms can be particularly problematic in this patient population. So general recommendations for management of psychosis in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia would actually be to begin with sort of a brief delirium workup. So identify any infections or metabolic disorders or electrolyte abnormalities that might be contributing to psychotic symptoms and look at that first before thinking about any medication treatment. Also, you should look at the patient's medication list and think about discontinuing any non-essential medications that could potentially be exacerbating symptoms. So in particular, things like anxiolytics or sedatives like benzodiazepines, for instance, you would want to um, taper and discontinue those. And then, uh, you know, is the patient on any anticholinergic antidepressant medications like tricyclic antidepressants or even paroxetine, which of the serotonin, uh, the SSRI medications has a fair number of anticholinergic side effects and try to minimize uh, the amount of um, agents that the patient's on that could be contributing to these symptoms. And then I think one of the core points about managing psychosis in this patient population is that before you ever think about starting an antipsychotic medication, if the patient's being treated for um, motor symptoms with Parkinson's disease, that you should discontinue or reduce anti-Parkinsonian um, drugs before go moving to an antipsychotic because we know in the literature, it's very clear that the um, anti-Parkinsonian medications are associated with an increase um, in psychotic symptoms. So the European guidelines for managing Parkinson's disease have a suggested order in which you might consider decreasing or getting rid of um, anti-Parkinsonian medications. And I think it's a helpful algorithm to think about for clinical practice. So they suggest that first you start with stopping anticholinergics and amantadine. So we already talked about how anticholinergics exacerbate mental impairment in patients with dementia and probably should not be used at all in patients with dementia. So getting rid of those first makes a lot of sense. Amantadine, it's not extremely effective in managing Parkinson's symptoms. It's only sort of adjunctive treatment and doesn't have a very big treatment effect. So getting rid of that one usually doesn't have a lot of adverse clinical implications. So that's why I start with those two. If you don't have any of those or you've already gotten rid of those agents, then the next step would be to look at dopamine agonists. So the reason that you would discontinue those next is not because they're not effective, because they are 
quite effective in treatment of Parkinsonian symptoms, but because we know that these agents are more likely to exacerbate psychosis than levodopa. So we'd want to get rid of them or reduce them uh, first. Then if we're still having problems, we could reduce other adjunctive agents like MAOIs or COMT inhibitors. And then very last line, sort of as your last ditch effort, you could reduce or um, possibly even eliminate carbidopa levodopa as a last resort. However, oftentimes that's going to cause an exacerbation in Parkinson's symptoms and you certainly have to be aware of potential functional impairments that that might cause like an increased risk for falls. So um, I think it's useful to remember, get rid of your dopamine agonists if you can, minimize the doses of carbidopa levodopa, and then if none of those things work, then you can think about um, maybe an antipsychotic medication. And if you're going to choose an antipsychotic medication, it's especially important to only use those agents that are least likely to exacerbate Parkinsonian symptoms and to use low doses of those medications um, so that you're least likely to um, exacerbate Parkinson's symptoms. So looking at specific antipsychotics, you should definitely avoid uh, typical or first-generation antipsychotic medications like haloperidol or flufenazine. The agents that have been suggested to be the best choices are clozapine and cotiapine, and that's because these agents seem to be least likely to exacerbate Parkinsonism, but you do want to still use very low doses of these medications because even though the risk is lower, there's certainly still a risk of exacerbating um, Parkinsonian symptoms. And they're associated with other adverse effects that have to be considered um, when deciding whether or not you should actually use an antipsychotic in these patients. The literature clearly shows that there is a worsening of Parkinsonism with risperidone and olanzapine. These agents would not be recommended in patients with um, dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. And interestingly, even though aripiprazole is only a partial D2 agonist as opposed to a full D2 antagonist that we would um, think would give it less propensity to cause um, Parkinsonian type symptoms. Um, it has been shown to worsen Parkinsonism in clinical trials and would not be necessarily be um, my recommendation uh, for treatment in uh, this patient population that's very sensitive. Just a quick look at some of the mechanistic considerations and why you know, clozapine and cotiapine might be your best choices in this patient population. It has all to do with dopamine. So blockade of the dopamine D2 receptors in the mesolimbic pathway is what we want in order to get reduction in psychosis. But agents that block D2 receptors there also block D2 receptors in the Niagara striatal pathway. And that is where we get either causing or exacerbating um, Parkinsonian symptoms. So what we would like to see is use of antipsychotic medications that have a lower affinity for the D2 receptor, that have fast dissociation from that receptor, have a fast off, because those agents don't bind 
tightly to the receptor throughout the dosing interval and because of that may have a lower risk um, for Parkinsonism. So what we want is an agent that binds the D2 receptor long enough to cause a reduction in psychotic symptoms but that then uh, dissociates relatively quickly from the receptor so that we don't have as much chance to block dopamine in the nigrostriatal system and exacerbate Parkinson's symptoms. So this graph shows visually the brief occupation of the D2 receptor by clozapine and quetiapine as compared to haloperidol. So you can see that for the haloperidol group, haloperidol binds to dopamine receptors strongly throughout the entire 24-hour dosing interval, whereas clozapine and quetiapine quickly move below the threshold of D2 binding that is thought to be needed for the antipsychotic effect um, and dissociate relatively rapidly by the end of the 24-hour period. And so the lower affinity of these agents allows for endogenous dopamine to then bind to the receptor after dissociation of clozapine and quetiapine. And so that should allow for then less um, extrapyramidal side effects or Parkinsonian symptoms to be seen because we can actually get endogenous dopamine binding to the receptors in the um, nigrostriatal tract. In terms of evidence for efficacy for clozapine and quetiapine, um, the preponderance of evidence is definitely in favor of clozapine. And there are three well-designed placebo-controlled trials that found clozapine effective for reducing psychosis without worsening cognition, but this was particularly in patients with Parkinson's psychosis, so not necessarily with Parkinson's disease, disease with dementia, although one of the uh, randomized controlled trials did include patients with dementia. With cotiapine, the evidence is not quite as good. There are two negative randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials looking at cotiapine in treatment of Parkinson's psychosis. And then there's another trial specifically looking at patients with dementia that did not find positive findings um, for cotiapine. However, in some retrospective trials for cotiapine, it was found to be effective in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. Definitely not great in randomized control trials, although some signals for efficacy in the literature. And then if we look at clozapine as compared to quetiapine, there has been at least one small um, comparative study of the two agents. And I just want to point out that the doses of quetiapine and clozapine used in this study are quite low, 91 milligrams of quetiapine and 26 milligrams of clozapine. Again, this is just patients with Parkinson's psychosis without dementia, but they did find that in this study, quetiapine and clozapine had similar efficacy in terms of reductions in brief psychiatric rating scale scores, and that in this trial there were no significant increases in Parkinson's symptoms in the patients. So, we have to sort of extrapolate that um, cotiapine and clozapine in, used in Parkinson's psychosis might also be effective in dementia with Lewy bodies 
and um, Parkinson's disease with dementia. And at least this one comparative study indicates that there might be similar efficacy for ketiapine and clozapine, despite the fact that randomized controlled trial data for ketiapine is not quite as good. So even though the trial data is not as good for cotiapine, it still tends to be the first choice for treatment in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, and that is because primarily of tolerability reasons. So looking at the tolerability issues and adverse effects that you can see with these antipsychotic medications, so all of the antipsychotics can exacerbate Parkinsonism. So even though the risk is quite low with clozapine and cotiapine, it's not nil. So definitely want to monitor patients for increased Parkinsonian symptoms if you started uh, one of these antipsychotic medications. It's also important to note that antipsychotic medications have been associated with a severe sensitivity reaction in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. And so this syndrome included uh, symptoms such as confusion, sedation, rigidity, immobility. So symptoms that are very similar to the neuroleptic malignant syndrome or NMS. And that patients who developed these reactions, a number of them actually died from complications like pneumonia. So it is not insignificant. Um, you want to definitely be careful about using antipsychotic medications in general in this patient population because if they get locked in and immobile, that could be you know potentially fatal um, for the patients. In terms of more common side effects, both clozapine and quetiapine cause sedation, orthostasis, uh, anticholinergic effects, as well as adverse metabolic effects. Um, and all of those adverse effects have been reported to be worse with clozapine um, as compared to quetiapine. Clozapine also is associated with some uh, rarer but potentially dangerous adverse effects, so uh, myocarditis, seizures, as well as a granulocytosis, and all of those are black box warnings um, for use of clozapine. And because of the risk of a granulocytosis, uh, quite a bit of monitoring is required with clozapine. So you do have to get a weekly white count and ANC count um, that's required for the first six months of treatment. And then the frequency can be decreased, but you have to continue to monitor patients at least monthly throughout the entire time that they're on treatment. So not insignificant um, monitoring burden with clozapine. Also with clozapine, you do want to monitor for constipation. There have been reports of um, even fatal cases of constipation because of bowel perforation and whatnot with clozapine. So, you know, we're already talking about a patient population who have autonomic dysfunction, and I just worry that those patients might be, you know, particularly susceptible to constipation. So you need to monitor carefully for that. And then patients with onclozapine may also develop um, significant sialuria or drooling. So all of those are potential side effects. So given the substantial risk of treatment, you really have to think carefully about whether or not it's worthwhile to start 
um, an antipsychotic medication for treatment of psychotic symptoms in these um, very sensitive patients. And certainly if you're going to start a patient on an antipsychotic medication, they do need to be monitored carefully throughout treatment for adverse effects. One more thing I'd like to mention in terms of concerns about using antipsychotics in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia is that there is an FDA black box warning about the risk of mortality in patients um, who are treated for psychosis associated with dementia. So it was originally seen with the atypical or second generation antipsychotics and then the warning was later also um, established for the typical or first generation antipsychotics. So any antipsychotic medication you use has the potential to increase um, risk for death in this very sensitive population. Again, just weighing carefully whether or not the psychotic symptoms are significant enough that they require treatment or causing enough um, functional impairment or distress for the patient and caregiver that you want to initiate a relatively risky treatment. So lastly, I want to talk briefly about management of depression in dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. And we will talk briefly because despite the fact that depression is commonly comorbid um, with these um, diseases, it, it's very poorly studied in patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia. In fact, there are no studies looking at the use of antidepressants specifically for depression in dementia with Lewy bodies although there is some evidence for use of electroconvulsive therapy, as well as repeated um, transcranial magnetic stimulation for patients who have treatment-resistant um, depression in that population. And then looking at evidence for treatment of depression and Parkinson's disease, there's certainly more literature available here, but not an optimal amount. It's definitely limited. And the results of whether or not um, antidepressants are effective in this population are mixed. Looking um, at use of antidepressants um, in patients with Parkinson's disease in particular, they do not seem to respond quite as well to antidepressants as elderly patients without Parkinson's disease. So you might suspect that that poor response to treatment would also translate to patients with dementia with Lewy bodies and um, Parkinson's disease with dementia. Again, the evidence is mostly for patients with Parkinson's disease in general, not necessarily with dementia, but there is limited evidence to support efficacy for the tricyclic antidepressants, the TCAs, as well as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs, um, in patients with Parkinson's disease. The evidence is much stronger with the tricyclic antidepressants. However, the SSRIs are definitely better tolerated um, than TCAs. And in particular, thinking about the anticholinergic effects of the tricyclic antidepressants, those can exacerbate um, cognitive dysfunction in these patients who have dementing illness. Um, so probably not a very good choice. And then you also have the additional concern for orthostasis and falls with the TCAs. So multiple review expert reviews have indicated that 
the SSRIs as well as possibly the SNRIs um, are very commonly used in practice and would be considered to be the first-line treatment for depression in this patient population despite the fact that there's very limited literature because they are probably going to be um, the best tolerated. But do remember, if you're going to start an antidepressant agent, do start at a low dose and titrate slowly to try to minimize the risk for um, adverse effects in these patients who are generally sensitive to centrally active medications. So now we have talked about the four core treatment targets in Lewy body dementia and um, dementia with Parkinson's disease. And what medication therapies might be helpful. So let's bring that back to the patient case that I presented to you at the beginning um, of this talk. For our patient, we thought that his recent treatment with ropenorol was likely contributing significantly to his exacerbated hallucinations. And so that treatment had been discontinued and he seemed to get better the more time away he had from that treatment. In fact, he did quite well um, while he was admitted to our hospital. And so we did end up initiating another uh, dopaminergic therapy, so carbidopa, levodopa, but we felt that this was a better choice um, than ropenorol because it's less likely to exacerbate um, the psychotic symptoms than his direct dopamine agonist. And also, this patient had a history of treatment with carbidopa, levodopa, but the dose that we initiated um, and, and discharged him on was lower than he had used in the past, which we hoped would help minimize the likelihood of exacerbation of psychotic symptoms uh, for this patient. I'd like to talk about the choice of denepazil um, versus rivastigmine as the cholinesterase inhibitor um, for this patient. Certainly, the evidence um, looks a little bit better for uh, rivastigmine, and it even has an indication for patients with Parkinson's um, disease with dementia. But Denepazil is a little bit uh, more convenient in terms of dosing. It only has to be dosed once a day versus um, twice daily with rivastigmine. And probably the fact that our hospital formulary only has denepazil and no other cholinesterase inhibitors played a big role in um, the choice of denepazil versus anything else. However, it's also notable that denepazil was better tolerated than rivastigmine in clinical trials in terms of probably both nausea as well as potential exacerbation of tremor. So that's maybe another um, consideration. Now, certainly we did not have to start uh, a cholinesterase inhibitor at all. Certainly these medications have side effects that need to be considered. However, um, both the patient and his wife were concerned about the hallucinations that he was having. Since the cholinesterase inhibitors may have some potential benefits on hallucinations in this patient population, we felt a lot more comfortable starting a cholinesterase inhibitor to see if that might be helpful for this patient rather than um, starting an antipsychotic medication. Neurology recommended that we could consider quetiapine as an option, but 
Generally, it's best to avoid the antipsychotics in this very sensitive population if they're not necessary. And we didn't feel that his symptoms at this point were severe enough um, or causing enough uh, problems at home to warrant uh, use of an antipsychotic medication. But if we did need to use an antipsychotic or if symptoms got worse, quetiapine would probably be a reasonable choice because of its lower propensity to exacerbate Parkinsonism and lower side effects as compared to clozapine, which also um, has low propensity to, to cause problems with Parkinson's symptoms. We did start an antidepressant. In this case, it was for anxiety as compared to depression, which is what we talked about as one of the core treatment uh, targets in uh, patients with dementia with Lewy bodies. However, a significant concern for this patient and his wife, and even though there was no good evidence for use of antidepressants in this patient population. We felt that the SSRIs were probably generally fairly well tolerated and because of the problems that the patient was having with anxiety would be worth a clinical trial despite uh, very limited evidence. So in summary, for medication management for dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia, carbidopa levodopa is the preferred agent for managing Parkinsonian symptoms. Despite that, though, how, remember that the symptoms may not respond quite as well as in patients with Parkinson's disease without dementia. So you may have a lower expectation for improvement, um, and you may not want to increase doses aggressively despite them not having quite as much motor improvement as you want because of the risk for exacerbating um, psychotic symptoms in this population. And looking at other anti-Parkinsonian medications, so anticholinergic agents definitely worsen cognitive impairment, and dopamine agonists have a higher propensity to exacerbate psychotic symptoms, so those would not be great choices for management of Parkinsonian symptoms in uh, dementia with Lewy body and Parkinson's disease dementia patients. The cholinesterase inhibitors do show overall modest improvement in cognition in this population and may also reduce psychotic symptoms, although certainly the evidence is mixed. But tolerability in terms of cholinergic side effects like nausea and vomiting, as well as potential for tremor in patients with the Parkinson's disease with dementia is definitely an issue to consider. There is an unclear benefit of memantine, so conflicting evidence, but it is better tolerated than cholinesterase inhibitors and might be considered for a trial in some patients. For treatment of uh, psychotic symptoms, you definitely want to start with a reduction of anti-Parkinsonian agents and discontinuing of other potentially cognitively impairing medications before you ever consider an antipsychotic medication just because of the risks associated with use of antipsychotics in the dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease dementia um, population. And if you are going to use an antipsychotic medication, cotiapine and clozapine are going to be your preferred agents because of their fast dissociation from the D2 receptor and therefore low potential to exacerbate Parkinsonism. Overall, antidepressants are poorly studied in this population, despite the fact that depression is commonly comorbid. However, 
the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are generally first choice um, in clinical practice and have clinically relatively good tolerability. And one thing for sure is that you should avoid antidepressants with anticholinergic effects, again, because the anticholinergic effects can have a negative impact on uh, cognitive uh, functioning. So that is all I have. I hope that this presentation was helpful to you in sort of overview of the medication management of dementia with Lewy bodies and Parkinson's disease with dementia. And have a wonderful day.